Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We are continuing this series. Last week we talked about the nature of of our Heavenly Father. And man, it is so critical. In fact, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back in the podcast and check that out. Just very important. You know, some series, you know, are, you could, every message could be a standalone, but I really feel like, especially last week and this week, really go together. And we'll, we'll hit some of the highlights here in just a moment. Uh, but man, I, it is so critical that we really understand the nature of our Heavenly Father because there are a lot of misconceptions about God in our world. And I, in fact, I think most of the world is angry towards God because God has been represented poorly and God has been described in a poor way. And so the Lord really wants to reestablish his identity, right? We talk a lot about our identity. I know that that's one of the, th- one of the thrusts of my message, but man, you can, you will never discover who you are until you discover who he is. And Luke chapter 15, this is kind of the, the text that we're digging into, the story of what many call the prodigal son. We call it the story of the found son, right? He's not lost anymore. I mean, you know, he's found now. He's a, he's a son in the house. So Luke chapter 15, verse 17, uh, and, and we know the story. Again, back up. The son, the son was there at home. He said, Father, I want your inheritance, right? I want your inheritance. Give it to me now. You're not dead yet, but I'm leaving. So he goes and he squandered away his money. He was, he was living wildly. He was, he was in the, living in the house of pigs, right? He was a, basically a pig farmer. And he was, you know, that for a Jewish man, that was an unclean place. And he was there and he was working. He was stinky and he was broke and he was hurting. And he was thinking every day how good he had it before, right? I mean, you guys have been there before that you've, you've been just been like, man, what did I do with my life? And this is where he, at, where he was at. And it says this in verse 17, when he had finally come to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, self, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Real important, he says three things. I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to become your son, be called your son, and please hire me on as a servant. Those three things. You guys with me? All right. Verse 20, so he returned to his father, and this is where we spent our time last week. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Those are the five things we talked about that last week. Remember, the father sees, the father cares, the father runs, the father embraces, the father lavishes. This is what happened, and we talked a lot last week about our lens and how critical that is, and I I was thinking about that this week, and I, I thought, you know, the feelings and the hearts and the thoughts that we have about God, if they don't draw you to him, then they are not from him. So any thought or any mindset that would that would cause you to say, I don't want to belong to God, I don't want God, anything that would come into your mind and would cause you to feel that way or think that way, those thoughts are not from God. Those are from the enemy, or those are from your flesh, or you're looking from the lens of your experience. Anything that the Father will put in you about him or towards him will always draw you to him. It will always be the, I can go home to my Father. Those will be the thoughts that come from your heavenly Father. So picking up 
Verse 21, as we, we jump into really the content of this week. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven against you. So here he is. He's coming down the prodigal road, right? Just we sung about, and he comes up and he runs into his father. The father's embracing him and he's holding him and he's in the arms of his father. And he says this, he starts talking to his father, father, I've sinned. I've messed up. I've blown it against heaven, not just you, but against heaven. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy. I'm unfit. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Now, remember, there were three things that the son was going to say to the father. Do you remember? I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. The second thing is I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the third thing that he was prepared to say to his father, please take me on as a hired servant. So he says these two things. Listen, the father allows him to say, I've sinned. The father allows him to say that. The father allows him to say, I'm no longer worthy. I'm unfit to be your son. But before he could say, take me on as a servant. Let me live in the back. Before he can get that, the father interrupts him. Before he could say, before he could muster up his plans to just come in and be a servant and be undeserving and to to live life like he had thought in his mind, the father interrupts him and says, quick. Bring the finest robe. Not slave clothing, son clothing. Bring the finest robe in the house. If you have your paper Bible today, underline that. The finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead. but has now returned to life. He was lost, was lost. He was a prodigal, but now he is found. And I love how it ends. So let the party begin. (laughs) Some of you don't know this, but you signed up for a party when you came to God. You signed up for a party. Come on, you you didn't sign up for God's labor camp. Come on, you signed up for a party. I want to talk today about going from death to life because this was the position the son in. He was dead. The father says that, that he was dead, that he was lost, but now he is alive. So how do we go from death to life? God has a process that he takes us in from going from death to life. The first thing that we have to do, and we talked a lot about this last week, is we come to our senses and head home. We come to our senses even my, even if even if my dad is just merciful, and then we head home, that we decide that the life I'm living isn't worth living. No matter how bad it is, maybe it's bad, or matter no matter how good it is. Come to our senses and head home. Number two is we confess. Our condition. So the son came to his senses and then he confessed his condition and realized, recognized that the father allows him to do this. I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He realized that he had, he had uh, broken all loyalty with his father. He realized that he was a sinner. He realized his condition was as good as dead. 
That was his condition. Beloved, do you understand? Without being in the Father's house, your condition is as good as dead. Y'all okay today? It says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there's none righteous, no, not even one. See, you might say, I'm a pretty good person. This is, this is kind of how we reason righteousness. When we think of righteousness, we think of the way that we're living. Righteousness actually means right standing, which produces right living. But most of us, when we think in regards to righteousness, you say, well, well, but I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. And we'll say things like, well, I'm no Hitler. Yeah, but you're no Jesus either. And the standard is Jesus. Jesus is the standard. And anything short of that, see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. How many? None. God's looked at the whole earth, couldn't find anyone. There was nobody righteous. So what did he have to do? He had to come and die himself. Because there was none righteous, no, not even one. See, it's critical that we understand not just the goodness of God that we're coming home to, but also that we understand the depth of where we came from. See, some, some will return to the pigs. Some will return to the old life because they under, underestimate, number one, the goodness of Abba. Or, number two, they, they'll realize, they, they think that they don't need Abba. They think, I'm good, I'm good. Do you need Jesus? Do you need the Father's love? Do you need it? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good person. How many times do we hear this? But you're not as good as Jesus, and Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard. So some will return to the pigs because they underestimate the goodness of Abba, or they underestimate their lifestyle. It says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And I, listen, I'm not beating you up today, but I want you to understand where you came from. We talk about that all the time. You've got to understand where you came from. You weren't good, and God just polished you up a little bit. You weren't. You weren't good. You were, you were not fit. You were totally undeserving. Let me continue. Colossians 2, 13. You were dead because of your sin. The son was dead. Do we get this? That you were dead because of your sin. Because of your sinful nature, sinful nature had not yet been cut away. Then God made you alive. When? When he forgave your sins. The punishment of sin is death. Well, God's punished me. No, your sin is punishing you. Notice the father didn't throw the... The son and the pigsty. That was the life that he chose. The father was waiting, longing, embracing, ready, fattening a calf, ready for him to come home. But he chose the pigsty. It's the life that he chose. It was the mess he got himself into. And this is what we do with our sin. This is what causes us to be dead. And I don't believe that God's looking at us and going, you're dead to me. No, he has compassion on us, but we are dead to the Lord. It's more like we're saying, you're dead to me. And that's really what the son said, wasn't it? When he said, I want my inheritance, you're dead to me. The only value that I find in you is the money that you can give me. And how many have done that with the breath in their lungs that they have? And they say, God, I want the inheritance of this life that you've given me, but I don't really want relationship with you. I don't want to live in your house. 
See, it says in First uh, John 1, verse 8, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He said, well, I'm not that bad. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess, however, however, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and, he, and just, and he will forgive our sins. And purify us from all, all unrighteousness, all the things that you've done, all the things that you've thought, all the things that were deep in your heart, all the bitterness you carried away. If you just confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you of your sins and he'll cleanse you of all your unrighteousness, all of it, all the unrighteousness. He'll reinstate you as a son. See, the son was stinky. We, we hit on this a little bit last week. He, he probably had a little bit of clothing. He had probably sold most of it. He didn't have shoes. He, he wasn't going home like that. We'll talk up a little bit about that in a couple of weeks. But he was, he, if he had clothing, if he wasn't naked, which I, I don't think he was, he probably had something, then his garb was stinky. It was mangled. It had pig poop on it. Come on. <laughs> he was nasty. Yet the father embraces him. He was as unclean as the pigs he had been living with. See, it says in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And that filthy rags there is worse than pig poop. I'll let you do some research on that. So this is what we, when we come to God with our accolades, when we come to God with our quote-unquote righteousness, with our deeds, with, with I'm a good person, you know how it looks? Like filthy rags. It doesn't attain to much. Your righteousness might be great compared to your neighbor at work. Or compared to the politician that you see on television. Your righteousness might be great. But in the eyes of God, it's like a filthy rag. So what does the father do about that? So the father, when the father sees the son and the son says, just let me come in. Just let me, would you just let me come in as, as a no, before he gets to that part, I'm filthy. I'm no longer worthy to become your son, be, be called your son. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Quick. What does that mean? What does he say? See, robes always represent our righteousness. So if the son had a robe on, it was filthy. It was stinky. It was rotten. Yet the father embraces him and goes, and then he goes, quick. Bring me the finest robe in the house. And so the servants go searching in the house. Right? And they're looking in the house where 
Oh, yeah, right, we got to find the best robe in the house. They ran in to the closet and they found a, found a pretty robe in there. They're like, man, this is pretty nice. It's a lot better than what the son has now. Hey, let's go to the older brother's room. Maybe there's a better one in there because he asked for the finest robe in the house. He didn't just ask for a robe. So we better, we better make sure we get the finest one because the father was specific about the finest robe in the house. So they ran into the brother's room. They thought, man, this is a lot better than this robe. So they went and they put that robe back up and they grabbed that robe and they said, oh, let's make sure that there's not a better one. So they run room to room, room to room, looking for the finest robe until they go into the father's room and they go into the father's closet and they dig through the father's robes and they go wow i found it this is the finest robe and they take it to the father and they give it to him the finest robe in the house is the father's robe it's the father's righteousness and so what does he do he takes away your righteousness which is like filthy rags and he gives you his the finest robe it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now how righteous are you? As righteous as God is. We call this process... The theological term for this is called regeneration. Regeneration. Look at your neighbor and say regeneration. Regeneration means that he was dead and now he is alive. You were dead in your trespasses, as we just read, but now you're alive because what Jesus did. Y'all all right? So, so, so what do we, what what do we do? Regeneration, another word for that is being born again. Have you been born again? Have you been reborn? In order to be reborn, you got to die to the old life. You don't get to live in the pigsty and in the palace. You just don't get to do that. You've got to choose where you're going to live. Am I going to be a son? Am I going to be in the father's house? And we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. You can be in the house and be a son, or you can be a slave, but still be in the house. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Because many, there are many in the house that aren't acting as sons. They're acting as slaves. They're living like slaves. They're in the house. We'll talk about that. I'll get you back here in a couple of weeks. A little teaser. But you've got to be reborn. See, Jesus says it this way in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus. He says, I'll tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water, which would be like a natural, you know, like you're, when you're born, your water comes out, born of water, right? He's just talking about the, the birth of the nature. Some have taken that a little further, but I believe he's just talking about natural birth, born of water and Not just born of water, but born also of the Spirit. In other words, you're alive, but also you have the rebirth of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. There it is. But Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So you've got to be born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the Spirit. Born again. You can dig into that more in John chapter 3. See, to enter a supernatural relationship, how many know that God is supernatural? Right? To enter a supernatural relationship in a supernatural kingdom, we have to have a supernatural birth. We all have a natural birth. We're all here. We're alive. But God wants us to experience a supernatural birth. We call that being born 
Again, see, the old is gone, the new has come. We're no longer pig farmers. We live differently. Our diet is different. Our countenance is different. Our nature is different. We are different, beloved. How does that happen? How am I reborn? I mean, because that's kind of weird. Well, yeah, it's supernatural. Listen, you've got to quit being skeptical of things because they're weird. I mean, we're talking about supernatural, okay? We're talking about things that are outside of the natural realm. Now, Jesus was awesome about breaking things down in a way that he could understand it. But he didn't break it down in a way that we can understand it so we can just eat it and live there. No, he broke it down so we can understand it, and then we could grow in it and then understand the spiritual, right? So that's why we understand the natural first and the spiritual later. Y'all okay? So what do we, what do, we do? How, do? How are we reborn? We simply accept our acceptance. See, God has accepted you. If you'll come home, if you'll just go, I confess, I've wasted it. It's humbling, right? I have wasted my life. And here I am today to ask for you to forgive me. I know that I'm not worthy to call your son. And at that moment, as we accept our acceptance, see, it says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, that all who received him, right, received him, those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, you weren't born a child of God. I know that that's what everybody says. We're not all children of God. We're all God's creation. But you have to be reborn to become a child of God, to become a real child of God. Are are you guys tracking with me? We're all children. No, we're not all children of God. The only way you're a child, according to the Bible, if you want want to know the truth of the Word of God, it says that He gives us the right To become children of God. How? By receiving and believing. By receiving what Jesus did and believing that he is the way. That word right is the word exousia. Everybody say exousia. That that word is governmental authority. He gave them the right. He gave them the power to become a child of God. Through what Jesus did. We're going to change tone a little bit. Y'all okay? So we call this process, being reborn, we could call it adoption. Right? You were part of this family or not a family, and now you're a part of this family. You've been reborn. I want to talk for just a few minutes as, as, as we'll, we'll finish up today, talking about the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. And when we talk about Abba, you can't get away from the spirit of adoption because two of the times, it says it three times in the New Testament, two of the times it's tied to the statement, the spirit of adoption. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, everybody say every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God has blessed you. Why? Because you worked real hard? No, because you're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, this is so important, even before he made the world, God loved us. That's good news. 
and he chose us in Christ. So even before the world was ever made, God looked at you, he loved you, and he chose you. To what? To be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance. Everybody say, God decided. How many know that there are such things as unplanned pregnancies? (laughs) You being born in a kingdom wasn't unplanned. It was planned by God. God decided. Let, Let me say this, beloved. Adoption is a lot more difficult of a process than natural birth. Maybe not physically, but legally it is. That'll preach. God decided in advance to adopt us. He knew that it would take work. Into his own family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what... This is what he wanted to do. See, sometimes we preach the gospel like, well, God didn't really want to do it. No, he wanted to. Why? Because he wanted Jesus to suffer and he's mean? No, because he wanted you and because he wanted me. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. What? Are you kidding me? So you got to understand the spirit of adoption says this, number one, you are worth it. Undeserving, but worthy of his love. God saw you as worthy of his love. Beloved, can I tell you today that you are the delight and the desire of the Father. He loves you, and he wants you. You are worth it. You're worth the price that Jesus paid. God would not pay if you weren't worth it. You think you would have given Jesus if you weren't worth it? You were worth it all. I was worth it all. This is the spirit of adoption. So stop measuring yourself by your failures and see your value in what God paid for you. God paid a whole lot for you. So stop measuring yourself by your failures, by your faults, by your insecurities. You are worth it. You're worth it. God doesn't regret sending Jesus. The Father doesn't regret sending Jesus to die on the cross for you. He doesn't regret it. And Jesus didn't come to measure your worth, but to reveal it. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't come to measure your worth, but to reveal it. How much are you worth? You're worth Jesus coming and dying. That's a lot. Because he's not just a man, not just a good man. He is God in the flesh. You were worth it. Number two, the spirit of adoption says, you are approved. You're approved. When we talk about being approved, I'm not talking about one of those letters you get in the mail that says you're pre-qualified. If you'll call this number, then we'll run a credit check. And you know you're probably not going to get approved for it. It's not a lie. You are pre-qualified and pre-approved. And can I tell you today, listen, this is going to take a load off of some of you today. You don't have to strive for his approval. I'm a striver, man. 
I, still, still to this day. My dad loves me. I don't have to do anything to get his approval. But boy, I am a striver. I tell you what, when my dad says he's proud of me, ain't nothing calls me to swell up like that. I'll tell you what, there's a strive in me to make my earthly father proud. And, and there is a strive, a holy strive, I believe as well. But you don't have to strive for the approval. You strive from it. You live from it. See, Jesus didn't come to just change the score. He changed the game. It's not based upon your score. I know some of you are trying to watch basketball today or tonight or sometime. I don't know. I don't even care. But <laughs> Jesus just changed the whole game. Check it out. Galatians chapter 4. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for those who were slaves to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. You know, he's not looking for laborers. He's looking for lovers. See, the law couldn't change your nature. It could just modify your behavior. That's all it could do. That's why it was broken. Because people could act right, but they couldn't be right. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. He didn't come to give you a list. He came to give you himself. Prompting us to call, Abba, Father. And now that you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. Everybody say, I'm a child of God. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And we'll talk about inheritance next week. So you are worth it. You are approved. You are, number three, wanted. It's, it's common to say God loves you, bumper stickers, all that stuff. But did you know today that God wants you? You're wanted of the Lord. See, God knew what he was getting into with you. He knew it. He knew that you would screw up. He knew that you would make mistakes even after you came home. He knew it. He don't regret it. I love how it says that he, how intentional he was in the passage. It says that in advance, God decided in advance to adopt us. How I many you know that God knows the end from the beginning? He didn't, he didn't, you're not surprising God by screwing up. He knew you were going to do it and he doesn't regret it. He still wants you. <laughs> He's not going to throw you out. First Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people. That God looked at you and he picked you. He intentionally picked you. He looked at the quarters of time and he said, I want Imlin. I want him. I want him. That word uh, in the Greek is ekletos, which is where we get the word ekklesia, which means the church, the called out ones. But you are in the ekklesia, you are an ekletos. And that means that you are a chosen one. The God Picked you. That word means that you are elected, selected, chosen by implication, favorite. You're God's favorite. Well, how can I? You, you, God's, he's awesome like that. He, everybody can be his favorite. You can be his favorite, and I can be his favorite. I'm his favorite, Josh Brown. Favorite one. I don't know how all that works. Listen, and the fact that the king picks you. Listen, our king has kingly etiquette. He has kingly taste. He doesn't pick things that are not royalty. He wants you. He saw that. He saw you. He knew. But he said, they're a king. She's a queen. 
Queen, queen, she's queen, she queen. I think that's like a trendy thing right now or something. You queen. You all queen something. I don't know. <laughs> Number, you are wanted. Number four, you are embraced. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him pleasure. Great pleasure. See, God doesn't just love you because this is cosmic obligation. He actually likes you. He's not upset. He's not frustrated. God's so, God looks and cries on the earth. You think? There's, there's one passage that we, we can draw that from was when the whole earth was filled with sin. Do, do things hurt God's heart? Yes, but he is not depressed. He's not in heaven going, oh, I wish he's gone. They belong to me. This one chose me. They are favored. I love them. And you know what the solution for the broken world is? That person going, I love you back. And then the world's transformed. But the world's jacked up because nobody knows who God is. And we blame God. God did this. Do you understand? God didn't do it. People did. People that weren't filled with the love of God. Listen, agendas, social agendas, and government laws, and all this kind of stuff, isn't going to change the world. What is going to change the world is when the ecclesia rises up and goes, I know how loved I am by the Father, and I know how much the Father loves the world. Check this out. Listen, we are embraced and cherished. We are embraced and cherished. James chapter 1, verse 18 says, He chose to give birth, give birth to us. Again, by giving us His true word, And we, out of all creation, out of all that God created, became his most prized possession. You're his most prized possession. Right? You're like the little drawing that your kid does, and you put it on the refrigerator. If you have kids, you do that. Look, it's so good. It's not good. (laughs) Will you come and ask me? Yeah, it's great. Way to go, parent. You know, next Picasso. <laughs> That's you, man. What do you do with the What do you do with your most prized possessions? I, a couple months ago, I bought I bought a new guitar. I've been wanting a, like a nice guitar for a long time. I never bought one, and so I don't really lead worship anymore. And uh, but I find it's funny after I quit leading worship, then I got a nice guitar. <laughs> it's just like the Lord. And so I got this really nice guitar. Now I'm like pulling it out and showing everybody and Instagramming it. Right? I was like, why? Well, it's not my most prized possession, but it is one of them. And so I want everybody to see it. That's what God does with you. He's proud of you. You're embraced. And number five, listen, you are never alone. You are never alone. You have an eternal father who is always present, present in times of difficulties and trials and tribulations and trouble, and present when the day is good. In Roman law, and I'm going to close with this thought today, but listen, in Roman law, it was against the law to, to, uh, to disown yourself from children that you adopted. So you could disown your children. You could disown your children. Under the law, you could do that. But if you adopted a child, it's illegal. It's a crime for you to, for you to disown a child that you've adopted. 
Oddly enough, it wasn't against the law to disown your own biological child. So you could totally do it with your biological children, but there is something legally binding with the spirit of adoption. There was something that is legally binding, not just in the courts of the earth, but in the courts of heaven, that says they are mine, and I will be their father forever. Forever and ever. And they will never have to be alone. They will never have to feel worthless. They will never have to feel betrayed. They will never have to be felt like they're picked last. I don't know about you, but man, I spent a lot of my childhood as a little kid, you know, a lot of time alone by myself. I remember being picked, picked, you know, on kickball teams and stuff like that. The kid picked last, you know. Little chubby Josh Brown, nobody wants him. Maybe I'll take him. Listen, that is not the way the father accepted me when I came to him when I was 18 years old. That is not the way he accepted me. And he came in and he said, you know what? I want you. I pick you. I pick you. I choose you. This is the heart of the father. 